This is Staying Alive, and I'm Louis J. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for tuning in. Awesome. So we're back again this week, Louis. There's been a few things that happened this week to you personally. I noticed online uh, there was some kind of award thing going on oh. in your in your <laughs> in your neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I love social media. It gets the word out right away. It was. Um, Listen, I'm so I'm so thrilled because and fortunate because I've got people that rally around me for the things that I do that I just love doing and in my community um, we're broken down into wards and this is a, a well populated ward we're ward one in Port Credit you know where I live um, a number of my community um, sent in nominations for category awards because the local councillor here believes in in recognizing the spirit of the businesses and the people and those people that stand out in what they do. And um, there was a couple of categories that uh, my neighbors and community and, and customers uh, and clients were so generous enough to write in and recommend me for uh, re a recipient of those awards. So, yeah, I'm thrilled. I mean, we were nominated cabin. Um, my barbershops were nominated for customer experience, exceptional customer experience, which I'm very proud of. That's a, that's a team effort. And in fact, um, I was recommended for leadership and entrepreneurship and won the award for entrepreneurship. And uh, I'm not a one-man show by any stretch, so I share that recognition with everybody that allows me to bring anything that I do to life, you know, business or family. And of course, I've got an incredible family that supports everything I do, so it was really nice. It was heartfelt. I might have had a tear. Um, and, of course, we did the whole event virtually. So they had our community and everybody that was writing in nominations invited to um, a, a virtual ceremony. It's so very it was cool. Like a Zoom call with, with everybody who was nominated? Or? Like a Zoom call with the nominate, the nominate, uh, people that were nominated, excuse me, and those that were nominating. So it was quite a, it was quite a, a well uh, attended event. It was nice. Awesome. So congratulations. That's Thank that's you. great news. And uh, of course, all the success to, to you yourself and Cabin. But uh, let's talk about this podcast that's coming up here. You have a pretty special guest. Uh, I understand he's a close friend of yours. Can you kind of uh, tee up uh, who's going to be on the show today? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm we're really fortunate um, in that the community we live in here is filled with vibrant music. And a number of years ago, you end up seeing the same people at live events. You just end up seeing the people that are so into it. And I'm one of those guys. Uh, I love music and uh, I'm quite honestly most concerned about what's happening to the music industry now and to the people that I, that I care about, those artists. And so um, I ended up meeting um, Mike Bacon, Michael Bacon, uh, a number of years ago. And we uh, became friends and it, it was clear that he's involved in the music industry in some form or fashion and the cool thing about Michael Bacon is he owns a company called Live Mag Inc and the their artist managers um their stage directors uh festival producers if it's got music attached to it if it's got advocacy for artists if it's got um you know putting people on stage and performing that's the kind of business that Michael's in and so I'm thrilled to be able to have him here today to talk about the current state of affairs where the industry's going and some of his inventive, you know, uh, I mean, turn on a dime thoughts that ended up, you know, helping shape where we could take music in a time like this. Cool. Well, here's the conversation. Whether you're a brother or whether you're a mother, you're staying alive, staying alive. Feel the city breaking and everybody's shaking and we're staying alive. Well, I'm so happy that uh, we had a chance to do this and I've been thinking about having you on the podcast for quite some time. Because as, as you know, I'm a music fan, uh, like a big music fan. Every genre, every possible concert I could see, live music has been a super important part of my life as well as most of the people that I surround myself by. So, you know, we're in a, a very interesting time. And given your, your experience, you know, you've got over 20 years in the music industry. And, of course, um, in all those capacities that you filled and what you're doing now, what I loved seeing was that you were inventive about how all this came down, you know? So, like, maybe, maybe Michael, what you could do is is tell our listeners a little bit about, like, what got you into the music business to begin with? Because I love hearing people's history and how they ended up going from one thing to another and serendipitously finding themselves in, you know, a new place. Well, it's definitely true. It was definitely organic. Um, I was actually 
working for Rogers Community Television in Kitchener at the time. And uh, I was tasked with um, producing a, a couple of specials, a New Year's Eve special, uh, um, then it was a um, Valentine's special and a St. Patrick's Day special. And um, I had some guests on that were a comedy team called The Chris and Larry Show. And um, we worked together on a couple other episodes and then I just started working with them in their comedy team. Uh, after spending a lot of time with them, I ended up meeting somebody in Guelph that, you know, there was a band playing every Sunday there and um, it was Jerome Godboot. And uh, Jerome and I met, hit it off as friends right away. And then, you know, he said, hey, what you got do for those guys? Could you, uh, could you help do for me? And I said, yeah, because I don't watch TV. And that's really what it comes down to. If you don't watch TV, you got to do something else. And for me, something else was live entertainment. So Got it. Um, you know, basically, uh, we started with that. I worked with Jerome in probably three different iterations with the Blues Angels, with Prakash John and, uh, and uh, Jordan John on, when he was on drums and only 16 back then. And, um, and also with Susie McNeil. Uh, Susie joined the band um, in the last iteration that I worked with them in. And um, it, it was fantastic. I mean, she's amazing. And right away, I noticed her talent and uh, I was in awe. And um, we became friends and I stuck with the music business, working with people who asked me to help them and work with them. So Right. And I know that you've been responsible for the likes of festival production, um, stage management, or in the sense of stage direction, production, You've brought shows to life. You've been managing artists. Um, you must have some great stories, some ones that need to be off air, I'm sure, because the music industry is filled with those ridiculously crazy stories that make it so glamorous and appealing. But you've worked with some really talented people. I mean, and you have access to such great talent out there. You know, obviously, we hit a major roadblock, and the the, the walls went up when COVID came down, and it's decimated so many businesses and it's about to do more. Um, the casualties are going to be huge. Um, we talk about restaurant. Uh, it's come top. It's top of mind in that it's one that seems to be the most noticeable. However, given the businesses that I run and my love for live music, you can see that entertainment, entertainment, musicians, uh, performance art, all of that, of course, was a major roadblock and that that wall went up and and you know in in some cases I've got friends in the music business that you know both their you know if they're married their partner is also a musician yep and they've got you know a double hit there they don't have the comfort or luxury to know somebody was working in corporate or an office and they were able to manage the health benefits and the income and then you know they were able, the artist took a little bit of covid as or the uh, uh the serb serb yep. program as it came out um but in some cases, they were just blown out of the water, and they still continue to be blown out of the water. And I think we forget, you know, <clears throat> that it doesn't seem like such uh, a devastation to a mass industry, but this one took a really big hit. I mean, what are some of the things that you've seen as a result of that wall going up? Well, I, I mean, when you look at it, it's the restaurant entertainment industry is connected, mm -hmm. okay? Because a lot of the entertainment that we have, especially with the musicians in our area, all work within a restaurant and entertainment vibe. So if the restaurant can't have a, a duo on a weekend play and the, you know, Phoenix concerts theater can't have anybody there either, then we really have nowhere to go. Um, what they've reverted to is all the drive-ins, um, which has, I guess, a certain appeal to the fact that there's something going on and kudos to those who have put on the drive-ins to do that. I know that we were talking about being involved in one as well. Um, I went to a drive-in actually, and, uh, personally, my experience, I sat outside on my, on the hood of my car, uh, through my sunroof. So I could get the live experience as opposed to listening to it in my car. Um, but, um, you know, as far as the walls that went up, it's, it's weird when you, I know when you said about people, musicians who had two musicians working together, they're the lucky ones really, because then there's two people in the household that get the Serb. And you know what? Right. If there's two in the household to get the Serb, then you're probably going to be able to make it through. It's the ones that live by themselves that don't have that extra support. Right. And they're paying the rent by themselves. By themselves. And and they're used to making sure that they have these gigs lined up. They're playing five, six nights a week sometimes to make sure that they're making the money to do what they love to do. And 
Um, it's those people that I'm, you know, most concerned about in, in the sense that it's hard to take that on. But the good thing is artists are very resilient. Mm-hmm. I mean, from pain comes the pleasure. From all of adversity comes art, really, basically. So I think that a lot of them that I've talked to taking this opportunity to shut down. Like, There's some people that are saying, wow, I haven't played in four weeks or four months. Mm-hmm. And I used to play six nights, seven nights a week. And for them just to rest is one thing. And then creatively, a lot of them are opening up, starting to do their own things. All those projects they put aside that they never had time to do because people don't understand. It seems like it's a, you know, 10 to two for their gig, but it's an hour to get there. It's an hour to get set up. It's an hour to tear down. It's an hour to get home. You know, it's a long day for a musician. It's a full day. And a lot of people don't recognize that effort that has to go into performing. Exactly. So a lot of them are taking the time constructively taking a rest, taking a breath, and then looking at the projects they've had in their little suitcase off to the side and start pulling them out. And some people have, you know, there's a couple of artists that I know that have just started writing where they haven't been writing before. So it's given some inspiration. It's a tough thing, and we are going to get through it. There's no question. But you have to be creative to try to bring things to life because they're cutting us down at every corner, which is not fair. Well, yeah, it's not fair. And that, that I think, is it's something that, where it presents so many challenges and you think that you've overcome the challenge, all of a sudden there's something else that prevents you from moving forward. And I've often thought about what's going to come of this from the artistic perspective. Like what kind of sound are we going to hear? What kind of lyrics are going to be, you know, uh, woven into the message and from this kind of place that we're all sharing a piece of, there seems to be this common narrative that, you know, if I'm speaking to somebody, chances are there's going to be a part of that conversation that's COVID related. So I'm interested to hear where music is going to go and what lyrics are going to come up and what sounds are going to be created. Because you're right in, in thinking about all my artist friends, the musicians, they're extremely resilient and they've always been creative in their approach and, and inventive in, in, in the way that they approach their, their, their craft. And so I'm, I'm very interested. Of course, I want to make sure that everybody's surviving. And, and if there's a chance that we can do more of, you know, supporting that group and those people, then I think it's only now when you realize something's been taken away from you, um, the true value of that. And I hear it all the time. Like we need to get back out to hear live music. And it's a, it's, it's a, an overwhelming rush when you get to hear it again. And you didn't realize how much you missed it. You know, of course, um, one of the bands um, that's with you, uh, The Spoons, just played uh, a drive-in concert with Platinum Blonde on the weekend. And the amount of people that I saw light up social media talking about what a breath of fresh air that was and how amazing it was to see, you know, um, these two icon musician groups in in their neighborhood, you know, doing something that's that's cool and inventive. And drive-ins, of course, I think are going to be that next obvious um, but I don't think it's going to end there, you know, so I'm, I'm interested to see what happens as we move forward. And I know that you've been very instrumental in saying we got to do something. And uh, I, I liked your approach with regards to how you start treating live music. So your company, uh, Live Mag, um, does not only the artist management piece, but that production, but you came up with a solution around creating live events that could be in neighborhoods. And uh, I attended a couple. I thought they were amazing. It made me feel like I was living again. But tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, that's a, the whole thing. Um, getting back to a couple of things. First, the Spoons, I, I don't manage them anymore, but I still promote them. And they're great friends. And they're great. And they've right. been doing a lot of things. They've done um, some shows, uh, just a duo on a barge. They've been doing like the Burlington Arts Center. So they've been staying busy and they can because they can adapt. Yes. And they're a great band and everybody knows them. It doesn't matter where they go. Um, you know, it, there's just people that are going to be there. Um, the, the, the artists that are, that are doing it, you know, individually are the ones that are, that are making a, a big step too. And, um, before I get onto the plan that we were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, one thing I wanted to mention is that, um, you get the dichotomy of some people like Susie McNeil, for example, I've managed her for a number of years and, um, she's been doing really well working with Aerosmith in, in, in Las Vegas playing with Steven Tyler in his solo. So she's the first female member of Aerosmith, really. So she went from being in a Vegas um, residency and about to go to a, a European tour 
and she lost all that. Gone. Right? So, and when you're living in Las Vegas and in in uh, Toronto at the time, you can, you know, commuting and having two properties and stuff, it's a lot to sustain. That stuff doesn't go away when the show stops. So, um, you know, one thing she was creative enough to do was to start doing block parties, which is, you know, taking it to the streets. And that's really the answer for, um, you know, doing live entertainment is bringing it out to the streets and bring it outside because inside, of course we have that, those restrictions, um, outside we were up to a hundred people. We could do okay with that if we kept a hundred people outside, but unless you're a restaurant now, gatherings have been reduced. So, um, basically I, I looked at early on in, in May, I had these conversations with Susie because we were talking about what was going on and, um, the beaches in Spain started to design areas on their beaches that were covidly spaced. They had bubbles for five or 10 people that were separated by six feet all around with 12 foot walkways. And, you know, it was designed specifically for COVID. So the spacing is there. It's not like they tried to retrofit a Walmart or a Metro or Loblaws or even a church for that matter. Right. Um, My example is St. Michael's Cathedral in Toronto at 30% capacity can have 480 people at a service on a Sunday and a choir singing (laughs) in the back. So they have live entertainment for 480 people. Right. And I'm, you know, safely, safely, but in a COVID adapted space, what I did is I took, it's just math. Mm -hmm. It's like you keep six feet away from everybody else in your bubbles and you have 12 foot walkways so you can keep six feet away from everybody when you're going to the John and back, mm-hmm. you know, and if you have table service, it even makes it easier so that they're not all walking around. They're only going when they have to go to the bathroom. It's just the waitresses that are doing that. So what we did is we designed a plan that could be adapted to any outdoor and indoor space for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the focus was on outdoor because of the summertime and that was our best opportunity. So unfortunately, we, well, fortunately, we did a uh, member of the uh, Festival and Events Ontario, and we submitted it through them, and it was gone on to the higher-ups and to wherever that goes, um, but it's basically the Ministry of Health, and it came down to they, they still not allowing the, like the plan was um, basically accepted because there's no way to say no to the plan. Everything's six feet away, it's a, a one-way bathroom, you saw the plan itself, and even on that call, is everybody in the city of Mississauga said, yes, this is great. If when, we, when we come back, this is the way we want to do it. Even Denny Martin, the, uh, the uh, Peel Regional um, Health, said the same thing, but it, it's still limited by the actual provincial government and what they do in their actual, um, what they allow for outdoor gatherings. So, I mean, it's just math. And if you have an open canvas, like a... Uh, you know, Port Credit Memorial Park or somebody's parking lot. You can design that space to make sure that it is properly spaced. These beaches opened in Spain usually have, you know, 10,000 visitors, you know, in a week. You know, they, they, they tear, teared it down and pared it down to, to allow the people to make reservations, you know. In our situation, we would always make it that it's reserved so you have contact tracing. Then you also have everybody tested who comes in or out. I mean, you can even, I mean, you know, even coming to this podcast today, I got my temperature taken. Right. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Everybody should. Like, if you know, if you don't, if you have a fever and you don't even know it, you should probably, you know, maybe go home and have a rest. Put a towel on your head. Something like that. So, you know, if you do the testing, if you do the proper spacing, if you have the one-way traffic, you have the 12-foot walkways, you have monitors that are there to make sure people are going in the right direction, to make sure people are not going from one bubble to the next. We're human and we all want this. I mean, as much as St. Michael's can have that music is my church, you know, Um, I'm a recovering Catholic. So I, you know, music is my church. They go to the churches on Thursday and I go to the bar on Thursday. It's different. Right. But it's the same thing. I love music as my church. I think that should be the next T-shirt we launch. Well, you know what? It's one of the things that I'm coming around to because I got a plan. Of course you do. You know I do. So, I mean, ideally, if we could start the uh, the Church of Perpetual Music or something like that, I'm sure we'd have an instant membership and everybody would be able to join. 
um, you know, one step further ahead of that, you know, I'm thinking gospel brunch Sundays, legitimate reverend saying a gospel, rent a hall, have the spaced out, make sure it's proper and have some music. And then throw some music in that mix. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Baptist, I've been to, I was lucky enough to see Bishop Al Green, who's now Bishop instead of Reverend, right. at his church in Memphis. You know, the experience of going in there and having a live band and a choir, and that's church. Like that's I, that's my church right there. So I mean, we can do that in a hall with a Reverend as soon as the halls open up to the levels that they can have. Well, and I love that. I think that gets back to your original comment about you know if they're changing. The rules, of course, we've got to continually evolve this. We've got to figure out where we are on this mix. And what's okay today is obviously it's been proven that it's not going to be okay tomorrow. And so you can put a lot of effort and energy into making a plan. Um, I always found that in, in business, as good as your plan is, there's a good chance something could disrupt. And yeah. a plan B is really the only the saving grace to see anything salvaged from that. And so... I see the plan B. I love the idea of when we can, when we can physically distance um, and follow all the guidelines and have musicians on stage and us outside. You know, um, that's amazing. We're going into you know our 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 worst weather territory. It's winter. It's going to be cold. It's going to be impossible to do outdoor. Oh, I shouldn't say impossible. I've been Thank to some you. great outdoor events that yeah. have been in the middle of the winter. I've been to music festivals around the world in the yep. middle of the winter. And um, <laughs> it always gets back to that old saying that there's no bad weather, just bad choice of clothing. That's right. So we could, I, I look forward to that is really what I'm, I think I'm getting to is that I can't wait to stand outside, be distanced, make everybody happy from a compliance standpoint, but get a chance to hear music again. And I think the plan B for it right now, once that's, been pulled because we've got to follow the the new regulations about limitations on sizes and gatherings then it's that virtual side which i'm deeply rooted in now as a result of my businesses um producing events online um in in corporate environments or paid for use environments where they're coming to shows that they normally would have went to um it's everything in my power that if i can include live music or a segment in that to at least make sure that, A, we're supporting people that are in desperate need of support, um, if not only financially because we hired them for the gig, then just from creating an awareness so that people right. recognize and remember how important listening to live music is. And live music, you know, in the sense of virtual, is that I, I'll get a chance perhaps to have the artist produce or, or perform three or four songs and then following the three or four songs, we do an up-close-and-personal Q&A, and, &A, and yeah. that's awesome because yeah. you could actually you know, be working for a company that ends up bringing on this artist as I put it into my programming. They perform, and it's, it could have been your childhood you know, icon. It could have been somebody that meant so much to you. And you'll never see them. And you'll, because, yeah. Because they're not doing a Q&A or anything at the actual event, right. but online they will. But online they will. Yeah. They're also looking at reinventing the way that they connect with their audiences. And right. I, I love that. And I think that we have to find these inventive ways to constantly put them in the forefront of our mind. I mean, there's so many other things that we've got to concentrate on and think about. But um, if you're like me or you, I know that music means a lot. And so I want to constantly invent that. Have you had any experience with uh, with virtual events and, and putting musicians in front of audiences? And how's it working? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the way that you've had to go, right? Like, so Susie and Andrew do a druzy, uh, you know, at the beginning of the, you know, almost did every night where they were doing a, a, a broadcast. We've done a couple of Zoom broadcasts where people have, uh, you know, signed in and, and paid their tickets to, to see that were very successful. And we're also putting on a, a few more shows coming up. She has a, a Christmas single coming out, and we're going to be doing some Christmas shows. So oh, cool. This is the Christmas shows that we've arranged so far in Bracebridge on um, December 5th. I don't think I'm supposed to announce that yet. But uh, anyways, you heard it here first. <laughs> this is an live exclusive. Exclusive, exclusive From yes. From staying alive. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple of things that we're putting together where they're actually going to have the live performance for the 50 people, or if it goes larger, great. Um but also be streamed online where people can participate with tickets. So it is something that has, you know, really revolutionized the industry because now it's about that. Now the, the advantage is, is when you see all these um, 
collages of people playing a song all from different they all can do it from home they can put their laptop up or their even their iphone and and record themselves and they and you know basically they can you know send the actual file of the music they're playing you know it's it's amazing i mean it, we are set up for this we're we're actually set up for at home but it's the worst kind of thing because live is where you actually make your money so of course uh, it's the only place you make your money is live really um so it's something that I think, you know, it's, you have to adapt. I mean, places like the Alma combo, Mike Weckerly bought that place mm-hmm. and was ready to open up in the spring and had a great lineup of some opening, but you know, he had to adapt. And now it's one of the best places, of course, because you can do a live recording while you're playing that live show. Well, now you're just doing that to a live stream and there's bands that are doubling up and doing, you know, big rec started it off. And, uh, there's a lot of bands that are doubling up doing two and three nights, you know, two nights in a row to uh to get that audience in that they can they can have for the show yeah but, and I, given that everything's being delivered over a laptop or a monitor right now and it's coming into our homes really n- not only we can attend a live event that's timed and it's scheduled but chances are there is the recorded version that i can enjoy anytime yeah you know and and i think i like when there's when there's the opportunity to support them with the purchase of a ticket or merchandise or something so that we can go a little bit into at least helping their pockets. Um, so I, I'm, I'm paying attention to what's happening out there and looking for the next, like, that was phenomenal. Yeah. Like, that's a good idea. Well, what I'm excited about, and I'll tell you this, is the most exciting thing for me. Um, when you, I, I've been at, you know, Lake Effect, doing the stages, double stages. You have two bands uh, playing simultaneously. So four bands going from 2 p.m. To, to 11 p.m. at night, playing constantly in a $5 cover. And somebody go, what, $5? Yeah. It's like $1.25 a band. It's like 25 cents a guy. Like, <laughs> hello, where are you going to get entertainment for that? I mean, we're spoiled here in Port Credit. We're spoiled because the musicianship is... A plus quality. Like we have touring musicians that tour with A plus bands. Yes. And and they come out just to jam. You know, they come out because they're part of the community. They are they live here and they work here. And even the ones that don't live here come here anyway. Yeah, they're so, our neighbors. They're yeah. they're our friends. Yeah. And um, you know, when you look at that, the uh the, you know, when it's the um uh, the entertainers that are coming here together for us right like an example we just had the phil narrow benefit so mm-hmm. phil's been off with um d- dealing with cancer and uh a big shout out to phil and um you know we had the whole community come together and it wasn't just the artists that came together to play that gave their time like we had we had to actually stop we couldn't have uh two other two breaks because we just had too many people that wanted to play and the people in the community that, that came out and gave like there was $7,000 raised in an afternoon with, Amazing. with people just that are supporting on top of the fact that he, he already has a GoFundMe page that's gone, you know, gone up for him as well. That's done very well. So, I mean, we have that community here, you know, and we have the, the support of, of the musicians and we have the support of the, um, the people. And what I find is that, before you used to ask for this cover charge and people would, would look at you like you had six heads. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just say give, they'll pull out a, that same person will pull out a 20. I mean, we've been doing these block parties uh, with Susie and it, it's, it's so awesome because you basically pull up into your driveway and you have the band, you know, the duo on the driveway. They play music. People sit on their own property. So you can have 10 or 20 people now on your property as your bubble. And, you know, you get quite a, an, uh, a lot of people there. I did one at my place. I happen to live in a cul-de-sac, which is fantastic, full of um you know, triplexes, so we can actually have 210 people if we want. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing was is that instead of charging people for it, they put out a tip jar. And the people's graciousness, when they came up to them at the end of the show and they're putting like a 50 or a 100 in there, and literally have come up to them and sometimes in, in almost tears saying how overwhelmed they were that they were able to get back to live, that they, they haven't heard live music for like months and this is like a spiritual thing for them and it's filled their hearts and filled their souls and it gave them a breath of fresh air you know it's something that you know it i think that the biggest thing that's going to come back from this is the value of live entertainment is going to go up 
and people are going to appreciate it because they're, they're now appreciating the artists by at least saying, I'm going to support this. Do I want to watch you do this online in your home? No, I no. want to go see you. I'll travel to see you. I'll pay hundreds of dollars with my dinner and my travel and my companion and, and having a good night out. I'm going to pay five, $600 to go see you. But, you know, it, it's now going to come to that point where people are going to have an appreciation for music and for live entertainers, not just music, comedy, theater. And I think that that's the best thing that could end of this is that we start stop devaluing it to, to being it should be free because I'm privileged to saying, hey, I should contribute to this because this is when it's gone, I can't live without it. You know, and that's the thing that people are starting to realize now. Yeah, there's, there's these realizations. There's yeah, there's a level of, uh, of you know, of longing. Yeah. Uh, for what's gone. You know, it's, it's like you broke up with somebody and they're still kind of there, but they're not there. And it's like, geez, you know, I still kind of miss that. And, and you definitely, people realize how important it is to their livelihoods. Like we are live music junkies, you and I. Yes. It's not something that we can get through the day without, you know, you got to hit me with a fix when you can, because I love live music and it re-energizes me and it charges me up and it fills my soul and it makes me happy so that I can go through the day. And we need that more now than ever. So I would agree. I mean, I think that you, you said it perfectly well. We're fortunate in that in this community, the one that we live and work in, um, we've got musicians, like you said, touring. They're such high level, such high performers that it really is, uh, it's to our advantage. It's a privilege to be and an honor to be able to sit in the same room with these guys just knowing, you know, the creativity that's flowing through them and what they've produced and, you know, all their accolades and uh, and then comfortably have a beer in the back, you know, to just to celebrate the night. And I, I look at it like I'm privileged and I'm fortunate to be in this space. What I always found incredibly uh, disheartening was I would be, I'd see the band come in, you know, there is so much, there's so much effort into setting up the kit. The equipment has to be brought in. It's it's a different band every night, so it's not like there's the house set that they're just jumping in on. And um, I know what they're getting paid, you know. Mm -hmm. And often the bar gigs, I mean, really, quite honestly, I'm, I'm not suggesting it's the bar or restaurant's fault either. They have a certain amount of money they can put towards this. And beyond that, they need to make more money on the cash register to be able to support it. Um, I think for a long time we truly devalue uh, devalued that experience to the point where some bars insisted that the the bands would play for exposure, you know, or it was the hundred dollars a guy night type thing, knowing very well that after a while that that band has been responsible for packing that place with people that were fans and enthusiasts and they're drinking and they're eating. And not always um, did the restaurants or bars relate to that in a way that made it fair. And I'm not suggesting that they haven't got it, but I think once they realize at the end of all this, how much of an impact that live musicianship had on the way that that environment came to life, that it is worth more than exposure. It's worth more than trying to nickel and dime who can get on stage for me at such a, le a rate that's going to, it's going to be insignificant. So I don't mind paying them, but now we, we really see how valuable they truly are. Well, you know what? It, it, it comes a long way and it goes back decades, to be honest with you. The demise of live entertainment, live music is due to two things. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, it's uh, karaoke and Eric Clapton. And uh, I'll explain that. Um, and, and like you were saying, these guys come into a, a bar now, they set up, they do their thing, they tear down, they go home. It used to be they came on Thursday, they left on Sunday. They would play two or three nights. They wouldn't do one night stops. It was Two nights that you're going to have that party band there right. and you're going to party your face off and you're going to have both nights packed and the band didn't have to tear down both nights. You know, they, they got to split it up and they had to, they used to make money. But then all of a sudden karaoke comes along and there's some girl in her basement who can sing and she can sing mm -hmm. and she's got these tapes and gets everybody drunk and everybody gets up and sings too. And it's a party and I sell the same amount of beer. All of a sudden, that that hundred and seventy five dollar karaoke girl is starting to look really nice. Mm -hmm. She wants cheesecake and and uh, you know a couple of beers while she's doing it. You know, whereas the band's getting you know what they got. It's actually gone down the way the bands have been paid. The, if everything in it else inequality has been going up because of of um, inflation, inflation and everything else, the the musicians 
uh, pay has actually gone down. And it's because of that karaoke and also Eric Clapton, because he came out with Unplugged. And as soon as Unplugged came out, bands stopped being booked, and there was a lot of you know, solo acts and Smelly Cat, as some people say. Um, right, Smelly Cat. <laughs> smelly Cat replaced it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love the solo artists. I love the duos. I love the trios. But it really affected the art, the artistry in in the sense that all of a sudden it devalued. If I could still sell them the same amount of beer and play either that guy two fifty or that girl one seventy five, or pay a band twelve hundred bucks, which is what I should be paying because the ratio of the beer that I'm getting and the profit, right? And you know what? In some ways, you can't fault them because they're in a business, and, and if they can make more money with less expense, and I, you know, you got to go with that. I understand that. Um, but, you know, as a culture, it, it added to the whole devaluation of that musician. And, you know, it's, it's not gotten better in the last couple decades. And that's sad. No, I think you're right. I think it's gotten worse. Yep. I mean, I hear the horror stories. And it's evidenced by um, any of these uh, talent gig sites where you can find talent, you know, uh, Gig Salad or, yep. or, or anybody else that's, that's aggregating people that are able to perform at your your personal events at home or your corporate events or your or national meetings or whatever it is, the world that I'm in, um, you know, I, I see, I see people posting what they want and, you know, this is tremendous exposure, the promise of future gigs. And I just feel like it's, it's so unfair. And given that this is a passion play for artists, it's a chance for them to, to do what really makes their heart full. And when we when we start to look at taking away what can actually sustain this, then I think it's it's just a it's a very weird approach. It's unfair. It's it's not it's not sustainable. It ends up creating um, a divide between venue and and artist and promoter and artist and and in fact, more than anything, I think what we need to do is just rally around this industry and figure out a way to continually support and monetize it. Um, as it goes through its rough waters, as we all do, yeah. you know, and the businesses that have been decimated by it, um, actually makes me think of something. I'm interested in your opinion. Um, artists that hold back rights for the use of song, and I'm not suggesting that, um, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, somebody wanting to buy a song to put on their TV commercial or to attach to a product sale. Right. I think there's a, a clear line of where that monetization happens it's going to be worth x amount of money and that's our license agreement and there's many ways to skin that cat i get that side of it um i'm talking about the artists that you know in the likes of youtube right now that's really kind of uh playing you know judge and jury about what's allowed to be played and what's copywritten and what's not allowed to be free use and what's creative use facebook's following up too facebook's following it so social media is kind of stepping in saying no you don't have the right, right. and then on the other side of that artists are saying some artists are saying i don't mind you playing my music you know i actually want you to play my music um other artists are saying, no, we're putting a block on the, on, on the use of this music for anything that's not been licensed or given permission to use. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, artists letting it be free and open for use or versus artists that are saying, no, it's my music, I'm entitled to, to royalties, rights, and, uh, and fees? It's art, you know. If, if, you know anybody that, that doesn't agree with it, I ask, are you an artist? Is it your art that they're taking? I mean, think of what used to be, I mean, yeah, it was controlled by the record companies and they took a lot of it before, but before Napster and all that, artists used to get paid for music being played. Now they don't. Right. And I'm sorry, that's wrong. You I, know? Yes. We, we enjoy it. We want it. We like the convenience of it, but we don't want to pay for it. Well, that's, it's, to me, it's not offensive, but at the same time, because I listen to it too, right? Um, and I like the, the idea of people doing covers, okay? So covers are always the gray area because a cover is your interpretation of the art. Right. Right? So it's one of those things that it's a lot easier to deal with. Um, for the people who are, who are using it for profit, those are the ones for sure should not be allowed. And it's hard to split that atom. You know, when, when somebody's using it for promotion of their podcast yes, or whatever, then it's still promotion, right? So I don't ever look at an artist who says, I want 
I want to get paid if you want to use my stuff. Then you know you have every right to do that. Agreed. And, and if somebody else is offended by that, then they're probably the same one that said they won't pay five bucks to get in to see four bands. You know, and you know what can you do with that? You can only ask so much. And I, I think that it's really important that people again put the value back on the art. That not only the music that's you know live that of course you cannot duplicate. I, no show. No, I don't care. I've seen thousands of shows, and some of them hundreds of of one band. Um, you know, and no two shows are the same. It doesn't matter where you are. I mean, we have the same set list. I've toured across the country, you know, three or four times with the same set list, you know, but something happens different on every night and something changes. And that's the beauty of live. You know, you don't get that experience anywhere else. You have to go there and then you can see and touch the artist. You can have a little Q and a after a little, a little uh, you know, sign up at the merch line to get some autographs and some pictures and, and interact with your artist that, you know, those are the most important things because that merch line, and those tickets are the only way those people make money. Yeah, and I know that, um, of course, music share sites and and signing up for them and paying them for monthly, I know that, that that's a good move that we didn't have when, of course, the Napsters in the world came out and whatnot. And that, of course, was a chance for us to start saying, hey, listen, this needs to be paid for. Yeah. We just can't keep on stealing music. And um, I'm very proud that uh, even at the early onset of that, you know, when somebody sent me something that wasn't, it was, I didn't own or, or buy it. I felt like it was dirty. Right. Um, and I think maybe that's just my connection to the music industry and artists. I just thought it was really unfair. It was like we're stealing. And of course we were. Um, but that got, you know, shifted. There was a correction that happened and streaming sites became a solution. And that made a lot of sense. And yeah. the reason I brought the question up is I'm looking at the likes of, you know, what TikTok is doing. Um, and they're providing music that's open for use. It's been approved for use. By the artists. Yep. And I'm thinking, of course, of how we just brought back a song that's 30 plus years old that wasn't relevant to anybody under 30 years old. Um, they may have heard it because their parents played it. It's it's a it's a on I think anybody that's over 40 years old, it's on their must playlist and it's Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Right. I mean, TikTok, the exposure that that song got as a result of one video. And in fact, I, I knew it before that one video hit hard, which was uh, Dogface 420 that did the Ocean Spray Canberra right. um, skateboard track and Dreams is playing in the background. And actually, when I first saw it, it was um, a roller skater. And she was just, you know, it was so melodic and flowing and free. It was almost like this little mini vignette, this movie with a great soundtrack you know, a really cool image uh, and a great roller skater. And she was weaving in and out of the roads. And it just, it was like, yeah, I want to do that. And right. sure enough, that took off. Um, by accident, you know, Ocean Spray gets in the scene. And of course, I love the story behind that because here, this one video that went viral, um, I don't know how many gazillion people saw it, but it was a tipping point, not only to bring, bring that song back into, uh, you know, it's a relevant, a relevant conversation around Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks, um, the song itself. It it made it to top ten again. Yep. It hit the charts again. Yep. I mean, and that's that was the question because I know from reading a couple articles that Lindsey Buckingham um, basically won't release the rights to any song that right. he has either written or co-written. Co -written, yeah. Right. Uh, whereas Stevie Nicks wrote that song and she released it. And yep. of course, then you see the likes of of Stevie Nicks on TikTok. Uh, singing the song, you know, and duetting it with um, with Dogface. And you see Mick Fleetwood doing the same yep. thing, just celebrating it. Yep. And, you know, now as a result of that free use, that song has made it back into our conversations and into our hearts. And, and now my kids are, are singing Fleetwood Mac. And, and they've downloaded the, the album. And, or right. they've made sure that when they're going through their streaming site that it's now part of their popular play. And, right. and that, that song and that band was sleeping you know not that they were sleeping but they were you know put to bed for a bit yeah now they're awake and they're alive and it's cool because now they're they're getting another perspective you know and so and it's good that way you know again that's why you know in the question i i would never say anything bad about an artist who said that they wanted to that's the what they wanted to do right but like you said, there's benefits. There's, you know, all of a sudden that promotion put them into back to top 10. And, you know, that's from 
40 or 50 years ago, right? Almost 50 years ago. So it's 40 years anyways, but, uh, you know, there's pluses and minuses on both sides. And that's why, you know, in certain instances, I mean, there's lots of people that have used lots of Susie songs and we haven't turned around and went after them and said, excuse me, you're going to have to pull that down. I mean, it's part of promotion. The more people, you know, the, what is it? The, um, the, the largest form of flattery is is imitation, right? right? So if somebody's actually taking the time to interpret your art with their emotion and their feelings and their voices, hey, that's a beautiful thing. You know, we're all about that. I mean, if they're using it for commercial commercial growth and promotion, then, you know, it's just about a fairness thing. Right. It's like, it's not about, oh, well, then we want to get rich because you have lots of money. No, it's like if you're using something, you should pay for it, you know, if it's if it's doing that. And, and there's two sides to every coin. Um, but I think that, you know, art is so out there now. It's not even, I mean, even just when you think about the only time you could see an artist's work is if you went to a gallery or you saw them in their book or their online presence. Now you can see, you just Google image and you'll see whoever's art is there. I mean, it, it, it's really, you can use it. No, but I mean, you get to see it. So the exposure is huge. But the return's really low. Yes. You know, and, and it's just, if it, if it can be monetized, it will. Because, again, the reality, a lot of th- people think, oh, you, you know, you became an artist and you're on the radio, so you're making millions of dollars. And it doesn't work that way. It's, it just sounds very glamorous. There's no chance it really works like that. No, and uh, you know, for, this, for the people, I mean, where the, where the mus- money is in the music business is in the writing. And if you get a song and it's a number one song in the U.S., that there's a million dollars. Okay, now you got a million bucks because you wrote it. And you're going to get checks every four months in, or every three months in the mail because you wrote it. Mm-hmm. And that's the best kind of music money there is, is write a song. Write a hit song, kids. Stay at home. Write go, some Go music. to school and then write songs. And, um, yeah, that's where the money is really. Everybody else is scrounging. Artists are doing it for the love of it for more than anything else. Yes. They can make a living off of it. The ones that can, and there's so many that can even at the the local level, because there is support. There are venues that are paying, you know, for these, uh, musicians to come and they're, you know, they're making a part of their, um, you know, their income and their economy. And we have some great venues that do that. And, you know, I feel it's, it's tough because if it's a snowstorm, you still have to pay the band the same amount of money, whether it's like 20 people in your, in your place and you're not making that money. You're actually going down for that. Yes. And when it's packed, you're going to make more money. And for the ones, you know, I've been in venues where we had an agreed amount, but because they did so well, they tipped us. And that's the way it should be. If there's a profit sharing, then the opportunity, fine. But then again, on the other hand, if it's not going well, the band's not going to want to give up the guarantee. So, you know, you have to... You have to play at both sides. Exactly. Treat it, I mean, treat it like anything. It's a relationship and it's respect and it's, um, it's, it's an opportunity to continue growing something that maybe that you'll be able to hold on for years. Right. And, and we're both deal with corporate as well. And the corporate entertainment... You know, that's where there people have marketing budgets and they're putting on a big event and they have, you know, hundreds of people that are sitting around for hours and hours and hours and hours over a weekend and they need to be entertained. So they they support us by doing that. And and they um, you know, they actually, you know, contribute the most to the uh, music industry because they're the ones that have the actual budgets that are paying for what it's valued at, to be honest with you. Everyone else, it's like, I always say it's like a, a door rate on the back of a hotel room. You ever see those things? Yes. They're nothing what you paid. They're four times what you paid because that's the actual value of the room, but because it's being discounted because of the market, you're getting it for 99 bucks. And the same things happens with entertainment. The value is all of that. When you look at the production that goes in, the amount of people, the amount of hours that goes Equipment, in. Equipment, yep. You know, and, and uh, you know, people said to me, you know, oh, you're playing for 45 minutes. You know, how much is that worth? Well, that 45 minutes took five people, three hours of rehearsing, and that took, um, you know, that's 15 hours there, plus another two hours each going there. So that's another 10 hours to the rehearsal. So there's up to 25 hours and they haven't even got to the gig yet. Okay. So let's, let's be realistic about this. There's a lot more invested and the actual value, you know, we get the door rate when we do corporate and we have to do the, um, 
you know, the Expedia rate or the uh, Trivago, <laughs> Trivago rate. rate. Trivago rate. When, when you're doing local. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And, and it's to make sure that you're still alive. And that's a good thing is there's artists out there that are at the caliber that they are that know where to go. And we're lucky because they all come here, like more so than anywhere else. I've been across Canada. I've been in the U.S. At, we have one of the best music scenes anywhere. I agree. I, I put it up against anybody, anytime. And, you know, we're blessed especially for the size of the community we have with the amount of music that we have. It's just incredible. So our music festivals here too, we're fortunate in that I've met people actually. Um, it's almost always my, my hope that if I'm traveling, when I'm traveling for business, that if I, I always see what kind of live event or live music yep. is happening while I'm there for other reasons. And if I can sneak away for a couple hours one night to see a band in a new city or uh, see a new band in a city that I love, then that to me is a real cool experience. And yep. I've met people right here in our community that have traveled in for the music festivals um, and that they they schedule their vacations around live music. Yep. You know, and some of the stories that I've heard, like they've been to Germany to see Aerosmith or they've seen, you know, Pink Floyd in, uh, you know, in New York City and, and they either travel by car or by camper and they make this whole kind of trek around this, the experiences from the planning to who we're going to see, where we're going to go and what are we going to do when we're there besides listening to the music. But that's why they're there. Exactly. And you know, and it's a, it's a great motivator. I've, I've gone a number of times just because I know there's a concert and I haven't been to Seattle before. Oh, well, loving Mary's playing there and Susie's playing with Steven Tyler. Well, I think I'm going to go to Seattle, you know, not a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's just the way it goes. And if you can, you know, combine your adventure with what you love, you know, I'm an adventurous holiday guy. I'm not to sit on the beach and lie there and get tanned and roll over and read a book. You know, I could do that for an hour and then it's time to go. Um, so for me, I got to be doing something and, my favorite thing traveling across even for other business purposes, I go to concierge of the hotel and I say, I don't care if it's a guy with a guitar singing off key. It only knows three cards. Tell me where the live music is. And that's the best adventure because you don't know where you're going and you don't know what you're going to see. The first time I did that, somebody told me it was the first time I was ever in Winnipeg and I was going in the middle of winter and it was a Sunday night and everybody's going, oh, you're going to have such a lousy time, Winnipeg, so this and that, blah, blah, blah. I go down the concierge set. I said that. He says, one block over, three plaques down, the King's Head Tavern. And let me tell you, I had one of the best nights of my life there. The music, it was a jam night. Mu- the musicianship in Winnipeg, I would put Huge. them comparable to the, to the scene that we have here for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's a bigger city than, you know, what we're dealing with here, but they still have, you know, the jam night is like, it's incredible. I mean, the musicianship's top notch ended up uh, a band, Christy Johnson and her band came back to my hotel room after <laughs> got up really, really about five minutes before I had to go to work. It was okay. But uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's those experiences you have. And we're lucky in Canada that we do have places that support live entertainment and, when you go to different places in Canada, we have a higher level of musicianship. Like it, it just is. I've been to a lot of places in the States and I'm kind of wondering how those guys got up on the stage and who let them in here, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I think you're fortunate. We're really fortunate. Speaking of, um, I mean, concerts and, and experiences, um, you've got a lot. I'd, I'd love to know your top concert that comes to mind, your top live performance. It's a tough one. I would have to say, you know, Basically, I, I was lucky enough to go to the first police picnic oh, at the Grove in Oakville in 1979. And, and it's a good story because I was 14 at the time. And my mother uh, decided to take me and my two friends. We told her we're going to this concert. So on the Friday night, we had her drive and we were going to stay in line overnight. So we just decided that we'll go to this place. And when you get there, it's in the middle of the country. There's cornfields everywhere. And there was this one little gas station that was there. That was it. And, uh, we got there early and, um, we went over to go to the line. They said, sorry, no one can stay in line. You can't stay on the property. So we went back to the gas station. We were the first people there. Three guys, 14 years old. My mom dropped us off in the middle of the country and said, okay, boys, when you coming home Sunday, 
Okay, and how are you getting home? Oh, we're hitchhiking, Mom. Okay, have a good day. Have a good weekend. Have fun. You know, three 14-year-old boys. You did that now, you'd be like arrested. You'd be like strung up in the square. It's a different day. It's a different day. But we did that, and, and the concert was so fantastic. I mean, they had, you know, Iggy Pop, the specials, Oingo Boingo. Um, you know, they had the Go-Go's, and of course, the police. They had you know, Nash the Slash, who got unplugged and booed off stage they had iggy pop who did a did a mic drop that he decided to do by throwing the mic up 45 feet in the air and it just came down and almost blew the speakers it was you know it, just everything about the concert it was one of the biggest festivals that we i've been to at the time of course 14 14 years just, old uh, starting off um but it was just an all-day extravaganza the payolas you know before they were big were there i mean there was so, like so many great bands and um such a great vibe of people um no issues of fighting or anything like that it was just a different environment altogether and it was music and it was cool and it was punk and it was new wave and it was like it was something that um just to think of that artistry and that musicianship and the what all those bands went on to do you know we were really lucky to see those guys in their in their startup or they were they were established certainly but certainly nowhere where they ended up they've they've gone leaps and bounds beyond police picnics i can't remember how many police picnics there were we needed three three that's right i think i was uh on that last one and it was it was magic it was like something that you dreamt about because at the time it was VHS tapes, uh, a music show that might have been on Saturday night for half an hour, talking about the top ten or something. The new music, the new music on City TV, right? And you get, yeah, and then they really got into talking about how musicians, you know, built their bands and their stories, and you know, we ushered in a whole, you know, digital version, not digital music, but we finally were able to see them on our TV screens yeah. and on these programs beyond what we could just simply look at from the album covers, the liner notes, or the magazines that were dedicated to talking about music. And that's, I was consumed when I was a kid. You know, whatever was coming out next, I had to have it. Yep. I'd, I'd wait for the record store to open. Um, it was a very cool time. And, you know, this instant response that we have now and the fact that you don't have to go and, you, you know, you're going to be fed something over a millisecond and my kid's expectation that it's going to be there for them to play the minute it comes out. It's like amazing. We yeah. are living in a very, very cool time of our lives. Um, and I just love seeing the changes and the adaptations. Um, I do miss the lineups though. I do too. Like the lineups are cool. If you would, if you were going to go to a concert and you didn't have the internet back then, the interweb wasn't really there. You you slept in line the night before to be close to get to get something good tickets. You didn't have you know. I mean, you could dial into with your dial phone <laughs> to uh, Ticketmaster and wait in line there if you could. But other than that, I mean, that was part of it. And going to the concerts at night, even just the general admission ones, going the night before the party that was in the line was always better. I mean that. That gas station turned into a parking lot full of people all tuned their radios into 102.1 The Edge CFNY. back then. CFNY. Yeah. yeah. And we partied all night long. Just nobody went to sleep. There was no sleeping there at all. It was, it was one of the best experiences that I had, you know, and it was, you know, very much an introduction to festival life for me. And, uh, you know, now I'm doing them. So yeah. <laughs> you know how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've got stuff to look forward to. I mean, I, I don't... I don't have that crystal ball. If you were to put your, you know, uh, soothsayer hat on, the amazing Kreskin, you're trying to look to the future. What do you think we're going to be going? I mean, what's the next steps for live entertainment outside of what we're already talking about? Um, what do you see as next for us? Like, what can we look forward to? Well, here, here's the thing, and I'm pushing and pushing, and I will continue to push. The plan that I came up with is basically a drive-in without the cars. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. If we can be in a car that far apart, why can't we just be on a lawn chair that far apart? Mm -hmm. Like it's still, the spacing is the spacing. The reason that you have a car, as a matter of fact, the majority of the drive-ins, the minute you step out of your car, you break the actual distancing rules. So it's, you know, I think that we have to lobby our government to make sure that we're being heard and we will come up with whatever solution we'll do, whatever we'll jump through, whatever hoop you put in front of us. If we can put something together live that's designed for social distancing, as opposed to something that's adapted, like you can't keep six feet away from anybody in a Walmart. I don't care who you are. 
where this plan actually designs you, you can stay six feet away from everybody that's not in your bubble. I mean, it's just the way it is. And I think that we have to be active and we have to raise our voices. And especially now that we're going inside, I mean, it's, it's a lot tougher now because mm-hmm. the outside is, is the easy one to, to, to sell because it doesn't have the you know restrictions that the inside does. And like you, I've been to many winter festivals. Like people say, you're not going to do anything in the winter, are you? And I said, oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, lucky enough, I, I did a, um, a six weeks uh, Friday night series with the people from uh, Lakeview Community Partners. Uh, we started it at the uh, sunflet, sunset uh, stage. Uh, there's a, a sunflower deck at the end of Hydro Road uh, where the Lakeview uh, Village community is being developed. And they planted a, a million sunflowers. So we had a six-week series. It started off with Tom Barlow on September 11th, and it was so beautiful. People came out, brought their chairs. We designed it. They were, they were ushered in and told exactly where to sit. Everything was properly socially spaced. It was outside. The sun went down over the, over the sunflower with the sounds of Tom Barlow and music in the air. It was beautiful. Magic. You know, Three days later, Ontario said no more gatherings over 100 people, so we had to move it to Stonehooker. And we did it for five weeks remaining there on the Friday nights at 6.30, and it worked out really well. I mean, we were blessed with the weather um, cooperating with us. You know, it rained only the night Freedom Train was there, and it only rained up until they started playing. And then when they started playing, it stopped raining, so it was fantastic. But Clouds broke and... Yeah, so... um. We're looking to do some other things, possibly uh, looking to put together maybe a Christmas show at Stonehooker, and then maybe in the uh, new year, looking at possibly doing a winter festival, kind of with some ice sculptures and, and stuff, like bring out the hot chocolate and the, and the uh, apple cider. And, you know, we, I've been to Winterlude. I've been to, you know, um, in Ottawa, they have, you know, their, their winter festival as well. Uh, you know, the world renowned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, I mean, and everywhere else in the world that they have snow, they don't stop partying because it's cold outside. Like you said, it's just having the right proper clothing. So there are going to be some other events coming up that we're going to continue to do uh, at every opportunity. I'm going to have, it a, 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 you know, my foot in the door with something um, I'm going to like, looks like uh, Susie and Susie McNeil and Andrew McTaggart, known as Druzy, are going to be playing this Sunday at Shore, for example. You heard it here first because it just happened. Um, so, I mean, we're going to keep playing. We're going to have um, basically drive up Christmas shows that Druzy is going to be able to do. They come to your house and uh, show up outside and and start playing for your for your neighbors. You know, there's lots of things that we're doing, and you know, we're going to keep rolling with the punches out here. Well, I love your tenacious approach to all of this. You've been inventive in trying to keep it um, forefront in our minds. And for anybody that's tuning into the podcast that isn't local to us, and thank you for doing that because I know we've got some people that are uh, coming from far to listen to this. There is a guy or an organization or a group of people just like Michael Bacon in your community that are fighting hard for musicians and artists and live music and um, they could be your conduit, like, to get things done, to make sure the change is happening, to make sure that we're in full support, and to be that voice so that everybody recognizes how much we value live music. So I suggest that you find a group just like Michael Bacon and Live Mag. Um, but before we finish off here, Uh, Mr. Bacon. I always ask the guests if there's a piece of technology, because the goal is to transfer knowledge and help people kind of move along in life. Um, Is there a piece of technology in your world? Is there something, an app, a website, uh, electronic that you just can't live without and you want to tell everybody that they should check it out too? Okay. Well, I I was thinking about this because this is a difficult, you know, um, when you, I'm not very much an app guy or a technology guy, but I, you know, the one thing I cannot live without actually is my Bose speaker, my Bose wireless speaker. I do a lot of traveling. When I go to a hotel room, I bring that, I hook it up, my phone's plugged in, and away we go. I get music everywhere. And I, I would say that's the one thing I recommend everybody do. We're, we're so programmed now for the people who are using their phones to listen through their headphones or listen, you know, even just from their phone. Some of the audio is not so bad on there. But when you can actually put it into a system that actually gives you some bass and, um, you know, 
gives you the full experience of the music, the way it's recorded, not like it's coming through an AM radio tin can. Um, I recommend it. And it's, it's definitely makes me a lot happier when I'm instead of listening to the clock radio in the hotel room. Right. I've, I've got, I've got my stereo with me everywhere I go. So that's probably the, the one piece of technology that I, that I like the most. That's great. I love the idea of having full sound too. So that's a good piece of advice. And just to close off, what I really wanted to do was, um, this music-inspired conversation suggested to me that I'll finish off every podcast with a recommendation for a song. And for this podcast, I'd like to suggest that you go and check out uh, Capital Cities. They did a song called Farrah Fawcett Hair. Oh, yeah. It's awesome because like that song right now, more than any time, we need it because it talks about um, good shit. And that I think we can surround ourselves with and music helps lift us up. And that song for me was like everything they say in that song is good. So take a listen, guys, Mr. Bacon, Michael Bacon. Thanks so much for being on the show with me. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it too. It's always uh, great to talk to somebody who knows what we're talking about. There we go, fella. Anyway, thanks for tuning in everybody and we'll see you soon.